Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be with you. Christy and I are so excited about being here in Houston with y'all this morning. And before I get started, I do feel like I need to clear up a couple things. First off, no, I don't always have a black eye. Um, and second, yeah, I don't know if you can see it. It's healing up. A lot of people are kind of looking at me weird. Um, and second, it is, uh, it's true that disc golf is actually a little bit more dangerous when you're playing with college students than I realized. So there you go. You're just getting the real me today. Um, we are going to look this morning at the plagues. And I thought it would be good to look at this because we're living in one right now. And while there are some differences between the plagues of Egypt in the book of Exodus and what we're going through now, I believe there's a lot that we can learn about who God is and who we are. And so let's turn our attention to God's word now, and then I'll pray. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 7. I'll start in verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die and the Nile will stink and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, said to, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals and their ponds and all their pools of water so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. He lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And now turning over to chapter 9, a few verses, starting in verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are, and we pray and ask now that the words of my mouth that the meditations and thoughts of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. So for those of you who know me, this probably isn't gonna be a huge surprise, but in college, my house was messy. And I lived with seven guys our senior year. Our house was so messy that Chrissy, who was dating me at the time, I think we tried to count it up, she entered it two times. It was so gross, didn't wanna go in there. We thought it was great. We didn't think there was any problem with our house. But we had this moment of reckoning. And it was the moment 
that the bed bugs came. I know, I know, gross. The bed bugs came and it was, it was a real moment of clarity for us about the problems that existed in our house. We actually, I'll never forget, we had a house meeting in my bedroom and my roommate, Peter, was famously lying in his bed while we had the meeting, watching a movie on his laptop, and he said, I've made peace with the bed bugs. <laughs> like, no, that is not what you do with a plague. You don't make peace with a plague. A plague really does something. It, it reveals that there's a problem. And secondly, it makes an appeal to change. So that's what I want to look at today. First, what plagues reveal. Second, the appeal that they make. And third, so what? So first, what plagues reveal to us? Now we're picking up in this story in Exodus and God's people have been in slavery for 400 years. Not only that, but Pharaoh has decided to begin a genocide. He's having any boy who's two years or younger taken down to the Nile and cast into the river to control the population boom of the Israelites, of God's people. And they cry out to God, do you care? Do you see what's happening? Israel is being plagued by Egypt. And they cry out to God and God responds by sending these plagues. And I want us to consider kind of big picture Plagues one through nine. Because plagues one through nine, they're telling a story. And if God was just trying to get to the end point, he could have gone straight to plague 10. It says it in verse 15, what I read in chapter nine. God says, by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and you would have been cut off from the earth. In other words, if I wanted to just get straight to it, we could have just cut straight to plague 10. But there's a story that's being told here in plagues one through nine. You know, it, it's a little bit like if you flipped to the, to the end of Green Eggs and Ham with your kids, you wouldn't get much of the story of what's going on. You could just read the end and see that Sam I Am finally convinces his big green friend to eat the Green Eggs and Ham, right? But you wouldn't get much of the story about this unnamed character's stubbornness about not eating Green Eggs and Ham. And in the same way, this narrative of plagues one through nine are giving us an insight into the persistence of God and the stubbornness of Pharaoh's heart and the human heart. And so since I didn't read all four chapters, but to give you a big picture view, I, I did in the spirit of Green Eggs and Ham write a bit of a summary for us. Will you let my people go? Heed my warning, King Pharaoh. I would not, could not for clean water or to get that frog off of my daughter. Not for the gnats, not for the flies, not even if my livestock dies. Not for boils, hail, or locusts on my land. And not if it's so dark, I can't see my hand. I will not heed your warning, Mo. I will not let your people go. I spent way too long writing that, but I'll just share that with y'all. So why all of these nine plagues then? Why not just go straight to the 10th? God is showing us by means of plagues, he's revealing a battle between the gods of Egypt and the one true God of Israel. That's what the first nine plagues are showing us. In his book, Against the Gods, Old Testament scholar John Currid makes this really interesting observation that the target of the plagues, the things that are going into chaos are all things that have some kind of relation to what Egypt would have viewed as divine. 
the Nile was divine. There was a God called Happy, which was the God of the Nile, who was attended to by a frog. That's what they would have, one of the gods that they would have worshiped. Not only that, but even, even it targeted, these plagues targeted sacred animals to them, like bulls. The disasters of the plagues are revealing to the Egyptians and to Israel whose God is powerful and whose God is powerless. That's what plagues do. They reveal what gods are weak and unable to save. And ultimately, we see this leads to the ninth plague. The, God, the sun god, Ray, that Egypt would have worshipped is darkened. And this is what chaos and plagues lead to. It's the same kind of darkness that we read about at the very beginning before God's, God begins creating the world in Genesis 1-2. The second verse of the Bible, it says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Before God begins speaking and ordering creation into existence, there's darkness and chaos and emptiness. And now we see in the first nine plagues that Egypt itself is being thrown into darkness, into emptiness, into chaos. That's where weak gods take us. God didn't have to use these means, but he does. And this is, I think, also interesting. One scholar observes that the plagues seem to have a natural flow to them. So if you think about it, one supernatural, out-of-the-ordinary thing happens. Moses smites the Nile. But what would happen if the Nile suddenly became uninhabitable? The frogs would leave. That's the second plague. What would happen? Well, we see in the text that the frogs all leave and then they die. And it says that the Egyptians piled the frogs outside their cities. What happens if you get a big pile of dead frog carcasses? Gnats flies, disease. There is a a natural progression to much of what's happening with the plagues. And what that is revealing to us is that that is the way that the natural world is. It tends towards chaos. It's the second law of thermodynamics, if we want to get really scientific with it. It's that all things tend towards disorder. And what the plagues are showing us is that there's only one God There's only one God who can reign in the chaos, who has sovereignty and authority over it all. And it's the God of Israel. And what the plagues are meant to do is to show us that whatever other gods that we might serve and look to for happiness or fulfillment or prosperity, all of those gods will fail us. And the plagues reveal that to us. So the question for me, for all of us, what has has the COVID plague revealed to you about your weak gods? What are the things that you've looked to for your prosperity or your happiness or your comfort? I'll give you a couple of mine. I love my schedule. And I, I mean, y'all, for years, if I put it on my schedule, it was gonna happen. And the spring was rolling around. We had all these great trip plans. I was going to take a group of 25 college students to Malaysia to see my best friend who's a missionary over there. And COVID happened. That trip was canceled and a lot of other fun things were canceled. 
And I remember looking up at the end of April and just realizing, I am really, really sad about this. Not that we shouldn't be sad about what was happening, but I was, I was really upset that everything that I wanted to have happen wasn't happening. And I realized that I look to the certainty of my schedule and my plans and whatever the next fun thing is that I'm going to do, and I look to that for my happiness and my joy and my satisfaction and my fulfillment. And COVID has shown me how weak that God is. You know another one that we love, that we serve, at least I love a lot and struggle with? People all agreeing with me. That we love to have everyone agree with us about politics or mask wearing or social movements or whatever. You know what hasn't happened during 2020 and 2021? People all agreeing with us about social movements and politics and mask wearing. It doesn't happen. You can't have everyone agree with you. It's a weak God. If we are looking to that, to that God to be what makes us feel safe and okay or even right or even righteous, inevitably there's gonna be someone disagreeing with you. It's a weak God. A hero of mine once said, what may feel like hell actually may be a hurt from heaven because heaven wants you to change and hell hopes you never do. You see, God loves his people too much for him to let us put our hope in anything other than him because he knows that any other hope is a hoax that will lead to our destruction. And the plagues reveal to us all of these false hopes and weak gods that we run to. And it's a teaching tool for Israel, who, by the way, spoiler alert, they're going to get freed and go into the wilderness and start thinking about all those wonderful things that were back in Egypt. And and they're going to be tempted to serve false gods. And these plagues are going to be a reminder to them. Let COVID be a reminder to you. Lord willing, please, when things are like kind of more normal, when, and, and, that we look back and remember that those gods that we're going to be tempted to serve and to look to for our hope, they can't fulfill us. And so the, the plagues are making an appeal to us, friends. An appeal first to hope in the true God. I mean, think about, think about Israel's experience. Slavery for 400 years. Mothers being ripped away from their little boys. Think about how plagued they felt. And now what they are seeing is that their God is a God of justice. He is a God of justice who plagues the plaguers. The ones who have been plaguing them are now finding themselves plagued. And friends, all of us also find ourselves plagued with things, do we not? We find ourselves plagued with sickness right now, many joblessness, or infertility, or death. And if the Bible is true, what that means is that one day all the things that plague you, God himself will plague it. And what I mean is that sickness will become sick and pass on one day joblessness one day will be out of work. Barrenness will no longer reproduce. And the Bible tells us that one day death will die because God hates death. 
And so the plagues are an appeal to hope, to hope that God makes things right. But they're also, friends, they're an appeal to repentance. Because we are part of the problem. If God is going to do something about what's plaguing his world, he has to do something about me because I'm a sinner. He has to do something about all of us because we plague his world. And what I want you to see is that God is actually really patient with plaguers. A couple verses later, I didn't read it, but in, in verse 19 of chapter 9, God is actually easy on Pharaoh. He's easy on the punishment. He says, listen, there's hail coming. Get people inside and you will avoid it. Tell people, if anyone will listen, they'll avoid it. God wants not only that, he wants the world to know who he is. Did you see in verse 16 of chapter 9? He tells Pharaoh, for this purpose, I've raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God, who is slow to anger and is slow to unleash his justice, also is telling us that he wants the world to know who he is so that they might too avoid the plague of his wrath and justice. The plagues are meant to bear witness to us about who the God of the earth is. and he, I mean, think about it. We're here thousands of years later, thousands of miles away from where this happened, and what God said he was doing has been done. The earth is hearing who the one true God is. And as plaguers, people who plague God's world, we need salvation. We need this salvation. But the question some of you maybe, if you're, if you're a skeptic who's here today, first off, we're really glad that you're here. Thanks for being here. And maybe you're sitting there thinking like, okay, why should I trust God? If God is sovereign over plagues and he sends them and he's in control, why should I trust him? There was a doctor back in the 1980s named Barry Marshall. And he had this kind of crazy hypothesis. Like people thought it was crazy when he told them. But due to some of the research that he and his partner had been doing, he believed that stomach ulcers weren't caused by stress, which is what most people thought in the 80s, but that it was caused by this bacteria called Helicobacter pylori. And as they did research on this, this was the truly groundbreaking thing that they discovered. Not only did he believe that Helicobacter pylori caused stomach ulcers, but that it also caused stomach cancer, which was one of the most prevalent malignancies in the world in that day. But here's the problem. No one believed that it was just a bacteria that caused that. Because if it's just a bacteria, whoa, I almost stepped off that step. If it was just, still getting my surroundings here. Okay, if it, <laughs> that would have been epic. Um, if, it was, if it was just a bacteria that was causing that, do you know what the fix is? Antibiotics, easiest fix ever. No one believed him. And so, because he couldn't do, the, the Helicobacter pylori doesn't live in the gut of a lab rat or a mouse or anything. It only exists in primates. And no one would believe him. And so his solution to the problem was he took some, <laughs> he took a, a sample of one of his patients who had this bacteria, mixed it in a broth, and drank it. Yeah. About five days later, he began to get gastritis, 
nausea, weakness. He had the bacteria in his gut. He took antibiotics. He was cured. Nobel Prize winner, 2005. Now in the Western world, stomach cancer is pretty much wiped out. Now, do you think when he first suggested antibiotics to the first patient who came into his room that the patient was like, I'm not sure you're invested in this. I'm not sure I can trust you. They could trust him because he walked into the same thing that was plaguing them. The reason that the Bible gives us for trusting in the God who's sovereign over everything that's plaguing this world is because he becomes a man named Jesus of Nazareth who walks into the plague of our suffering, who becomes a man who's a man of sorrows, who's plagued by doubts, by friends who betray him, by homelessness. He becomes a poor man who is plagued. Not only that, he takes on the plagues of our sin onto his body and he's so invested in saving his people that he goes into the plague of the cross to redeem them. The cross, which just like on the ninth plague where the sun is darkened, Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tells us he goes into the same chaos and drinks the full cup the full cup of God's wrath for us, for anyone who would put their faith in him. That is how committed he is. That's why you can trust him. Do you see that? He walks into the plague for you, willingly. He walks into the plague for people like me and like you who deserve the cup of his wrath poured out on them, who, de- who deserve God to turn water into blood. And instead, Jesus shows up and in John 2's first miracle, tell you what, I'm gonna turn water into wine because I've come to bring joy to those who plague my world and to give them grace by faith. Don't put your faith in other gods that can't save you. Look to the one who is so invested that he would give you water turned to wine and he doesn't stop giving us wine. He hasn't stopped offering us his grace. So what? Three points of application. First, repent. Friends, what are the false gods, the weak gods that you've been looking to? Repent of them. See that they cannot save you. It's interesting, actually, in one of the, um, during one of the plagues, um, Pharaoh's like, okay, tell you what compromise. You guys can go worship your God, but you have to do it in Egypt. You can't leave. And Moses, in chapter 8, verse 26, he says, you know what? If we do that, it's going to be an abomination to the Egyptians, and you'll stone us. Do you know why he said that? Because they would have had to sacrifice sacred animals that the Egyptians, animals that the Egyptians looked at as sacred. They would have had to kill some of the Egyptians' gods. In order to follow the God of the Bible, we have to We have to put our other gods to death. And God's not doing that because he's like sulking and mad. He's doing it. He tells us to do that because he loves us and he knows that those gods can't save us. They're weak. So first, repent. And secondly, consider this, friends. Because God has gone into the plague for his people to save us when we didn't deserve it and to save us by grace through faith alone in Jesus, because he's done that, Do you know what he calls us to do? To go into the plague for other people. 
Larry Hurtado is a professor of New Testament theology at the University of Edinburgh. He wrote a book, I think this is such a great title, Why on Earth Did Anyone Become a Christian in the First Three Centuries? Isn't that a great title for a book? It's, it's great. He records that one of the reasons that so many people became Christians in the first three centuries, that, that Christianity went from like 120 people to half the Roman Empire over the course of three centuries, one of the key reasons is because Christians went into the plague for people. In the second and third centuries, there were massive plagues that hit the Roman Empire, wiping out up to 30% of the population in some cities. And the people who could, uh, most of the people left. They didn't go to the plague. They avoided the plague. But not the Christians. The Christians stayed. Because they had a God who went into the plague for them. And they believed that that same God, by his spirit, dwelt inside of them. And that the work that they had to do in response to the grace that they had been given was to give that same grace to the world. So what if, what if we began asking ourselves, where, where are the plagues in this city? Where are the plagues in this world and how can we step into it? That'd be a fun, it'd be a fun conversation to have and to imagine. Here's one. Did you know that, um, this is a couple years old, 2018, 112,000 foster kids waiting to be placed somewhere. 112,000 foster kids. There are 348,000 evangelical churches in our country. If one of three churches adopted a foster kid, the foster care system would be wiped out. What would it look like for Christ's church to begin imagining going into the plague for people who need help? Because that's what God did for us. Final point of application, pray. Moses spends a ton of time talking to God during the plagues. And I think we need to also. Pray and ask that God would give us his his eyes and his spirit and his heart to see and to love the people in our world who need help, the people in our families, the people at our work, in our neighborhoods. What if we went into the plague for them because of what Jesus has done for us? God will do great things through that and it will be all for his glory. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for who you are, that you so loved us that you sent your son. Jesus, we thank you that you stepped into the plague for us, that you proved yourself to be worthy of our trust. And we ask that by the power of your spirit, that you would make us women and men who go into the plague for others. And we pray that you would help us to turn away from our idols that would keep us from doing that. We love you and we thank you for your love for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.